It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. I appreciate you being here. Uh, I know a lot of you are as you change your schedule and wait to get back to work in some cases or find another job in other cases. You're one of the 24 million out of work trying to uh, go for unemployment or try to get some of the stimulus money. And if you're the L.A. Lakers, please give it back. If you're Cornell, please give the money back. This astounds me. Cornell thinks it's a good idea. The University of Pennsylvania, Harvard, Yale. Hey, we have a tremendous endowment. Some of the most successful people in the world went to our universities, and we beg them to donate back, and they do. We have the leading, we have the huge tuition cost, which we charge. We offer very little scholarship. So in times of trouble, why don't we suck the most we can out of the government? So Cornell is going to hold on to the money. The Lakers are giving it back. My goodness, the Lakers? I mean, the $4 million, that's what Jack Nicholson pays for his uh, courtside seats. You have to get money from the government in a time of a pandemic? Uh, how do you sleep at night? So some of this stuff's going on. The PPP has been a disaster as a relaunch yesterday. So I know that we'll discuss that uh, along the way. I got Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Bring us inside a place he was stationed, that's Korea. He's going to tell us what's going on with North Korea and this growing sentiment around the world to take aim at China for sickening this country and 183 others. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And you've made every excuse in the world for why the media ought to, should, and does treat this accusation against Joe Biden entirely different than he did Brett Kavanaugh. I'm not certain that Joe Biden will ever be asked tough questions by this press corps about it at all. It's amazing. Carl Rove, hardly a, uh, a tabloid journalist. Bias at its best, I mean at its worst. If you wonder why President Trump's numbers have not soared while other leaders have around the world and Joe Biden has not suffered, let's look at the coverage. We did. Call Rove just alluded to it. And I am sure you will be outraged but not surprised. Number two. On Saturday alone, more than 200,000 test results were reported. So we much more than doubled it, and that will be doubling again very shortly. Have enough testing to begin reopening and the reopening process. We want to get our country open. Yeah, tactics and techniques. Are we fighting the virus the right way? And will it? what will it take to get... Testing to the point where we can see if we are, in fact, winning. We will tell you the latest gains and frustrations. Number one. The reopening is the therapy, the treatment, the vaccine, if you will, for, for the economic calamity that our country is going through. It's a health care crisis, but it's also an economic crisis. Uh, and that is Trey Gowdy. Uh, reopening. Becoming a state-by-state story. What we can tell you, what we are seeing, and what you are comfortable. Are, when are you comfortable Going back to business, going back to a restaurant, uh, going back to school. President yesterday came out of nowhere and said something I was looking forward to, too. And that is, I think it's important for these kids, if it's safe, and they can fix the, the school district in your area, and it's not too costly, to get the kids back to school at least for a month. And it's not so much to, to put tests in front of them and not to see if they were learning, but to give them an idea of the structure that they'll be getting in the fall. 
because they have not had structure since March. They've been plunged into all types of uniquely challenging situations. I think more challenging than embracing. Even if you live in a big mansion or if you live in a small house, a small apartment, sometimes you're wrestling with computers. Other times you just flat out uh, by yourself. It's depressing. Others give you video to learn from teachers. Others just give you assignments that you could do, I don't know, anytime during the day. But you can't go anywhere, you can't drive anywhere, you can't play any sports teams, can't go to your clubs. So I would love to give the kids a sense of structure, the teachers a sense of semblance of order, and I hope the teachers' unions get together and do something. Going to school in the summer, I don't think the unions are signing off on. The president brought that up. So what are states doing state by state? So it's not possible to go through every one of them, but when we are lucky enough to be covered across the country. So in Florida, so many listen in Florida. I think we've got 15 stations there. Stay-at-home order expires April 30th. I get the sense uh, that Governor DeSantis wants to go slow, careful, but is very optimistic, especially Northern and Central can get started. Idaho, some retail businesses, daycares, organized youth activities, camps, uh, churches are going to open by May 1st. Illinois, they're loosening restrictions in some businesses, outdoor activities, but too much is revolving around Chicago. I feel bad for them with their governor, who tends to be a big complainer. Uh, in Maine, their stay-at-home order expires April 30th. I look for them to go outdoors quickly and get back into their stores. Ohio reopening May 1st. Man, that governor's been all over. WHIO listeners know that. Oklahoma restaurants, dining rooms, movie theaters, sporting events, gyms, places of worship. Uh, opening up. Colorado, same thing. Tennessee stay-at-home order expires on the 30th. Uh, West Virginia, they're going to do a gradual starting on April 30th. They have not had a big hit, but they've been hit. Uh, But meanwhile, when it comes to Texas, they are uh, almost ready to go. They're going to do it incrementally, but there is hope for standing up businesses again. Cut for They opened up at 25% capacity, these stores did, and they were able to provide uh, the goods for their customers in ways that had distancing practices so that people remained safe. So while those stores were open, we reduced the spread of the coronavirus. We know that all retail can open up. We need to get back to business, allow everybody to sell their goods at 25%. We know that's not good enough, but if we can do this and prove that we can do it for two weeks, then we can take the next step and open up at 50% capacity. And that's a governor, of course, and, and he's making a lot of sense there because it's so different. You've been through Texas. I'm looking to do Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, which comes out in paperback May 14th. I'll be going back there virtually or, or actually in my uh, physically at some point. But I had a chance to really see so much of Texas from Wichita Falls to Houston to the Woodlands, right around the same area, to Dallas, uh, to San Antonio. That's just off the top of my head, let alone doing the special Texas is so diverse. I just hope the governor is flexible enough to say Dallas is different from these other small towns or these where these big ranches are. Uh, in terms of Louisiana, this is a good story. They were supposed to be overwhelmed like New York proportionally, and they weren't. The good news is they've worked out hard. They've been very disciplined, and they might be ready to go. Democratic Governor John Bell Edwards, cut eight. Obviously, my hope, as I had expressed to you all before, and was that we would be taking bigger steps toward reopening uh, and moving toward some semblance of normalcy uh, than, than what I'm going to be able to announce today. Uh, and But the fact is that we just don't meet the criteria. Uh, and that is why today I'm announcing that we'll be extending the stay-at-home order, uh, which expires on Thursday, April the 30th, until May the 15th. 
which is normal, and I think the, uh, the rural area is going to open up a lot quicker. Uh, but in terms of what's going on here, I see a lot of people and all the other media outlets say, take your time, what's the big deal, we got to be sure. And that might be what you're thinking. But there is a price to pay for that. And for people, uh, you know, domestic abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, people's jobs are evaporating, mortgages are due, rents due May 1st, that's this Friday. And a lot of these programs have been very frustrating to get through. The government can only do so much for so long before the banks want their money, which if not right away will be soon. If, that, if not soon, it's only postponed. It's not going to evaporate. And there's got to be a balance. For Governor Chris Christie, he gets it. Cut 14. It's very important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's important, but if we wait until we can test every American to be able to reopen our economy, we won't have an economy left. And we went on and told you that Americans know there's going to be risk in everything. Uh, As Bill Bennett said, uh, a deep-thinking guy, he says he looked at this model, who worked for the Reagan and Bush administrations, uh, been a, a cabinet secretary. He looked at this model that we're seeing. And he thinks we totally overreacted. You might not feel that way, especially with 54,000 people dead of coronavirus. But 90% of them had underlying conditions. Doesn't mean it's acceptable. But it means maybe we're not approaching this in a way in which cannot destroy the country. At the same time, keep people safe. Cut 13. The model, the first model, the one that uh, was used to scare the world, came out of the Imperial College of London. And it said 2.2 million Americans would die. 2.2 2.2 million. Mm-hmm. We now estimate 70, 65, 70,000. That's off by 30 times. Not 30 percent, 30 times. Well, the message then went across the country and we really scared the heck out of everybody or worse. Uh, and we were paralyzed. And we did. And we didn't do much. You wrote columns on it. He's gotten a lot of blowback on it. But that's how he feels. It's time. Listen, you want to bend the curve? We bent the curve almost across the country. We're out of the woods? No. It's testing got to get better? Yes, and we'll discuss that. But as very prestigious doctors, like these places called Stanford, which were very prestigious until they come out with a test that goes against the mainstream media's uh, mindset, Dr. Dan Erickson, he comes out and says, listen, I'm looking at what happened in California. It found found out it was there a lot earlier than we thought, and look at how the numbers are down. He said this yesterday, Cup 15. 0.03 chance of dying from COVID in the state of California. Is that, does that necessitate sheltering in place? Does that necessitate shutting down medical systems? Does that necessitate people being out of work? When you're a little child crawling on the ground, putting stuff in your mouth, viruses and bacteria come in, you form an antigen antibody complex. This is how your immune system is built. You don't take a small child, put them in bubble wrap in a room and say, Go have a healthy immune system. We'll talk more about it. one 866 Are you ready to go back? Is your state doing what you want to do? In Pennsylvania, uh, in Michigan, we see protests. Now we're seeing lawsuits against governors. We're seeing the Attorney General Barr say, look, I'm looking at what these governors are doing. I'm making sure within reason you are somehow guarding the Bill of Rights, the constitutional rights we're all born with. Now, we know it's a, it's, a, it's a time in which we all got a team together. I think we are. It's been six weeks. We're ready to go. Or maybe you're not. I'm ready. one 408 I'll get to some of your emails and comments. And at the bottom of the hour, we'll welcome in Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's amazing to me the double standard, the double standard that was applied to Brett Kavanaugh, who had an accuser who had no corroborating evidence, couldn't even remember critical details, was a the Supreme Court justice nominee, was wow. eviscerated in the press, total focus on it. And on this thing, we're seeing nothing similar. And the New York Times editor says that the reason that they paid attention to Kavanaugh was it was a hot, a red hot story. Uh, he was in the middle of a confirmation. But here we got a Democratic well, presidential nominee. And apparently it doesn't have the same kind of level of coverage. I mean, he's talking about this woman from 1993 uh, who came forward and said in graphic detail what Joe Biden did. Uh, and then she told her mom, who called into Larry King, who she also in 93 told her neighbor and they corroborated the story. And I don't want you to believe her or Joe Biden. I'm not even asking that. I want you to take a step back and just ask, in any scenario, did you ever picture in your lifetime that one party candidate would not be asked a question about a sexual assault allegation once they got the nomination for president of the United States? You could even do it in a friendly way and say, Joe, I know you denied this in the past, but what do you say about the new allegations and corroboration? Anderson Cooper, Jake Tapper, not a word. That just, I'm sure, uh, Rachel Maddow, not a word. Nobody's asking him that at all. Just ask the question. You could even do it in a biased way. I know it's not true, but... But the fact that it doesn't even come out. Now, I think personally, the best thing you could ever happen to Donald Trump is run against Joe Biden. It's his best chance of getting four more years. So I would, I, I would not want to win on this. But the other thing is, any other candidate uh, outside Bernie Sanders would have been stronger against President uh, Trump than Joe Biden. He's, he's shot. If you compare that, let's just let, look at the way the rest of the media covered Kavanaugh as opposed to, this is a Supreme Court justice nominee, as opposed to Joe Biden. Listen to it. We actually ran this montage on our show. Let's listen. Three women came forward and they were told, we don't believe you. Is a system that is designed for men like Brett Kavanaugh to have this drunken, belligerent behavior. Some sexual assault survivors who have equated a yes vote for Kavanaugh as essentially saying we don't believe 
women who say they have been victimized. Is that fair? I, I think it's fair. So, so if you just say, wait a second, weren't we the Me Too era? There's people that destroyed uh, Democrats as well as Republicans, stars as well as uh, CEOs. What's going on now? Are we over the Me Too era? Tell that to Al Franken. Here's Joe Biden when asked about uh, women in 2018. It's Cut all 28. about the abuse of power. Whether it's Harvey Weinstein or the guy who, uh, the plumber who has a secretary he, uh, he harasses. It's all about the abuse of power, number one. Number two, women should be believed. I thought so. To say that a woman should be believed is a blanket insult to women. To say it's a blanket insult, all men should be believed? No. All men should be disbelieved? No. I thought we were adults. We understand it's a case-by-case basis. But you want to go say that to pander to your female uh, host? That's fine. But now you have to live up to those comments. And I'm going to compare this because I'm not interested. I'm only interested if you want to define who you're going to vote for, fine. I don't want to go to he said, she said, because we're not there, you're not there. People will believe what they want to believe. But it is a story. Now, the Washington Post headlines, they did, a, they did a study. They looked at the last 100 days. The Washington Post, front page headlines for Trump's COVID-19 response from July, January 17th to April 25th, the 100-day period. Two positive headlines, 53 negative slanted headlines. I'll give you even from today. Um, yesterday, President's Intelligence Briefing book repeatedly cited virus threat. Rick Grinnell, now running Homeland Security, um, Director of National Intelligence, I should say, temporarily, he said, quote, this isn't true. We told you before you wrote it, and you put the DNI denial of your premise in paragraph nine. So are you including it in that case? Yes. But are you slanting it? Yes. I just hope you know what's going on now. I never saw it so blatant in my life. It used to be subtle. You used to read between the lines. So what I'm watching is even the, um, the th- everything about testing. You could talk about how we're doubled it, or you can compare it to the size of the population. So the bias to me is pretty overwhelming. Even something that really resonated with some a network star now helping us out on Fox Nation, Laura Logan. She said this last night. Meanwhile, she was uh, assaulted in Egypt covering a story. Cut 33. The one thing I was concerned about through the entire Me Too movement and Kavanaugh and everything else is that the voices of the real victims would be lost um, as everybody was rushing in the frenzy, you know, to uh, to use this moment for their own uh, gain. We saw that during the Kavanaugh hearings. And for me, it's not a political thing. It's just that I do believe in the principle of um, innocent until proven guilty. And I don't so do feel I. personally that every victim of sexual assault is served. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. ...served by, um, by this kind of, of frenzy, and then and you see it now. Yeah, we see it now, uh, and that's what we're seeing. Uh, we're seeing an underreaction after years of maybe uh, what she's saying is overreaction. A flashback to Nancy Pelosi in 2018, October 6th. 
Courageous women risked their safety and well-being to speak truth about this nomination. Tens of thousands more joined them to share their own harrowing stories of sexual assault at great personal risk. Yes, Senate Republicans chose to send a clear message to all women, do not speak out. And if you do, do not speak out to be heard, believed, or respected. So that works then, but not now. I mean, how do you, how do you plan? If you don't call them out on this, then it's going to continue to happen. one 408 We come back with we'll turn to Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on the growing uh, chorus around the world to make China play, pay financially for what they've done including in Germany. They want $161 billion. We need a lot more. And I think the president's getting prepared to do just that. Could we pull that off? Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll discuss that as well as the health of Kim Jong-un or lack of health of Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Don't move. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Well, at the very least, it's pretty obvious that the same people who were outraged about allegations, unproven allegations against Justice Kavanaugh when he was in high school, seem to have little or no interest, or certainly not as much interest, in suggestions of improper behavior by an adult who's in the Senate. Uh, I think these things ought to be dealt with symmetrically, uh, no matter you know who the accuser is, no matter who the accused is. And that is Mitch McConnell yesterday on with Guy Benson on Fox News Radio. And he was just saying, listen, I don't know if Joe Biden's innocent. They're probably friends or I don't know if he's guilty. But the fact that there was a sexual assault in 93, the woman comes forward, a mom comes forward, the neighbor comes forward to verify the story. And the mom called into Larry King and they had the recording that very, at the very least, should have come up in an interview that, that Jake Tapper does, Anderson Cooper does, or Good Morning America does, don't you think? Colonel Alan West joins us right now. Uh, the Colonel is uh, written Overcoming, American Black Conservative Manifesto, also Hold Texas, Hold the Nation, Victory or Death, Senior Fellow at the Media Research Center. Colonel, am I right? I mean, that's not even a stretch. If I'm a Democrat, I'm embarrassed not to be asked that question. Bernie Sanders uh, supporters are upset by this. Well, of course, it's not a stretch, but it just goes to evidence even more so the hypocrisy that you see coming from the uh, progressive socialist left, the Democrat Party. You just brought up the blatant hypocrisy when you look at what happened with Justice Kavanaugh as opposed to this situation. But also remember the uh, the uh, lieutenant governor down in Virginia who had sexual oh. assault allegations brought against and him. And the governor. Nothing was said. Blackface. And, and, and blackface, but yet Donald Trump is the racist, but yet he can be in blackface and he gets reelected. But think about Keith Ellison, who uh, the son of the woman that was uh, physically assaulted by Keith Ellison. They had the uh, the pictures. They had you know his testimony. They had her story. Nothing happens with Keith Ellison. Now he's the attorney general of uh, the state of Minnesota. So there comes a point in time when people just have to see and understand that there are rules for some and then there are no rules for others. Right. And, and the thing I point out is the last thing this nation needs is another sex scandal. I really mean that. I mean, my eye rolls in my head. I feel bad for the woman if it happened. And I can't believe we're going to have to cover this. And I'm shocked a week later, 
Uh, we're covering it. You know, we're bringing it up as part of the, the, the political presidential discussion, which is only, you know, two, the nine-tenths of all our shows are about the pandemic. But to go yeah. and cover Donald Trump, in a, in a way, they did, you know, the, the Media Research Center uh, reviewed the headlines mm-hmm. of 136 Washington Post front page news stories about the U.S. government response to the pandemic this January 17th to the 25th. Uh, every story uh, except two were negative headlines. Is it even possible to do everything wrong? You can't write anything positive like building ventilators, empowering governors, compliments from mm-hmm. Gavin Newsom, laid out double down by compliments from Democratic Governor Cuomo, compliments from the Democratic Governor of Louisiana, and then why are they complimenting? You can't tell me that's not part of the story. Well, what is interesting when you talk about that is those same uh, news outlets, they're not writing any negative headlines about China. Uh, the only headline you get from them about yes. China is that we shouldn't call it the Wuhan coronavirus. But also think about Karen Whitsett, the uh, black uh, female state representative from Michigan, oh, yeah. who is now facing censure just because she sat down with the president and said thank you. So, you know, again, you know, you, you just can't. I can't fathom what is going on with the leftist media other than the fact that they hate this president. They want to do everything they can to undermine him. And uh, this has to be evident to the American people, without a doubt, as we move forward toward November. And listen to this, Colonel. Here's the headline today on this very topic. Trump allies highlight new claims regarding allegations against Biden. What? Trump allies? If, if mm-hmm. someone interviews the neighbor of Tara Reid, he's an ally of Trump? Or is the story a neighbor verifies sexual assault accuser of Joe Biden? You know, or, or uh, Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's uh, claims of uh, sexual assault against him. I mean, there's no way you put a headline like that unless you want every Democrat to skip over that story. Well, that's the whole point. The whole point is to make the association with President Trump so you just believe that this is, uh, there's no there there. And then you, uh, again, you delegitimize the story because you're trying to delegitimize anyone as associating them with President Trump as an ally instead of just looking at this as it is. You know, someone could have come out and said that the, uh, the whistleblower was, you know, doing the, uh, the, uh, Ukraine phone call hoax. He was an ally who previously worked with Nancy Pelosi or or, you know, in one of the Democrat senatorial offices or whatever, but they didn't do that. Okay, so again, it's this hypocrisy, it's this incredible bias that we see in the media, and they want to win at any cost necessary to defeat President Trump. Texas is prepared to begin opening up retail stores, restaurants, malls, movie theaters, museums, and libraries. Uh, They'll be allowed to open Mm -hmm. Friday at 25% capacity. Uh, Then they're going to gradually go up. So if you guys do the right thing, keep the distance, be respectful, uh, be patient. It'll go 50, 75 uh, as you walk around. Have you been to cities through this? Have you been to open spaces through this? What's the attitude of the Texans you've talked to? The attitude of the Texans, I was down in San Antonio, as a matter of fact, I spoke at the Alamo there to Cenotaph because you know there's an issue about moving that memorial. Uh, the people here in Texas want to get back to work. The people here in Texas don't want to be told that we can't, you know, we must start at, six, at 25%. That's a very arbitrary number. I don't know how the governor's task force how came you do up that? with that. 
but uh, they need to be, they want to be trusted. And when you look at the fact that barbershops and hair salons are not allowed to open up, I mean, that's affecting a lot of small business owners. And Texas right now, Brian, has 1.8 million people that are unemployed. And we have had 663 fatalities uh, due to the COVID-19 crisis. And we know what's going on with our oil and gas industry. I think I just saw where uh, the price per barrel was at $14. So we've got to get people back out there, back to work. And if there are folks that don't want to come out, then they, they can stay at home. But I would have said, you know, you cannot exceed uh, a 65% capacity or 60% capacity. Instead of saying we're going to start at 25%, I would have set a ceiling. And then, you know, looking at the response reaction, then we can increase from there. But the, the Texas people are, are ready to get back to work. There's a website called Open Up Texas, and you will see a lot of folks that are just saying, you, you're, you're hurting me. You're killing me. We don't want to see Texans in food lines. We want to see Texans working. Is it cutting on party lines? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, when you look at, you know, I'm here in Dallas County, and you're talking about some of the most draconian measures that you could ever imagine, just the same as Houston and Harris County. Uh, in, in San Antonio, where you see Democrat leadership. And that's one of the things that the uh, governor did address, the fact that you have people giving out fines, like a $1,000 fine for a person that's not wearing a mask. When you're putting people out of work, why would you be fining them $1,000? An incredible, you know, I, I can't even, it's unconscionable what happened. A woman was playing her harp in her front yard for her neighbors who were also sitting in their front yards. And guess what? She got a citation for not maintaining proper social distance. She's in her front yard, her neighbors are in their respective yards, and she's doing a concert for her uh, for her street, for her neighbors, and she got a, a, a citation. So at least the governor has said that there will be no more of these citations that uh, from the state level, you can only recommend people to wear masks, you cannot mandate it. So the New York Post had a emergency room physician write an editorial. Uh, he, write, he works at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. He says it's been the worst healthcare disaster of his 30-year career because of the intensity, duration, and potential for lasting impact. Well, the lasting impact is what worries me the most, and it's why I now believe we should end the lockdown and rapidly get back to work. He goes on. First wave has crested at 1 p.m. April 7th. Then arrivals slowed down. The wave passed over us, peaked and subsided. Second, I worry about non-coronavirus care. While the inpatient units remain mm-hmm. busy with sick COVID-19 patients, our ER has been quiet, empty. That means our patients in this diverse, low-income community are afraid to come to the ER. Our pediatric volume in the ER has practically disappeared. Third, inordinate fear misguides the public response. While the COVID-19 is serious, fear of it is being overamplified. The public needs to understand that the vast majority of infected people uh, will do quite well. It's, it's more prevalent than you think. And survival is 0.5%, maybe even lower. So the chance of death is 0.5%, maybe even lower is the right way to say it. That is yeah. a emergency room physician in the epicenter of the virus. Yeah, and and we know that there have been some issues with uh, how they have classified uh, some of these deaths, but we we have come to understand the most vulnerable populations for COVID-19 are the elderly, uh, people with these underlying conditions, obesity, type 2 diabetes, hypertension. So we need to protect those people that are vulnerable. But you just said the key thing. You're looking at anywhere from a 97 to 98 percent recovery uh, percentage, and you're looking at 
a fatality rate that is, you know, like you said, point point five percent. So we do need to get people back to work. And and I've read stories about folks who were scheduled to have uh, cancer biopsies, and their biopsies got put off because of COVID nineteen. You know. We are putting more Americans in a health risk, uh, you know, people that need to have uh, knee replacement surgeries, a hip replacement surgeries, all of these things. So we have got to get our hospitals going. And here in the state of Texas, we have only seen about a 2 to 3% utilization overall of our hospitals. As a matter of fact, in Harris County, which is Houston, a $60 million uh, tent hospital was put into NRG Stadium. Never saw one person. So they uh, broke it down last week. Look, and you're somebody from an organization, the military, that always plans worst-case scenario. I have no problem mm-hmm. with that. I'm sure you don't either. Hey, if we want to prepare worst-case scenario, the Javits Center was there, the USNS Comfort was there. Guess what? For the most part, both weren't needed. Okay. Yeah. We have assets that are needed in 50 states. So you can't be, you know, if that was your sincere approach, I understand that. But also understand, too, the president's got to think 50 deep. Next, I thought Governor Christie kind of nailed what you've been saying to me since you've been on throughout this pandemic. He quote this in this editorial. We need to accept that life in the U.S. will not be without risk until a vaccine is developed. The American people intuitively understand this, and they've never asked for a risk-free life. We all have to take responsibility for how we move forward because that's what we do as Americans. We move forward in the face of fear and the unknown because we believe in each other. I mean... He's a guy, too, who says get off the beach, there's a hurricane coming. He's, he knows sometimes people need leadership. And now he's saying now the people need to be trusted to make their own decisions. I believe that is right up your alley. It is right up the alley because I believe what separates America from the rest of the world is the individual rights, freedoms, liberties, responsibility, and sovereignty that we have here. And there are risks. Every single day that you wake up, there are risks. Yep. When we turn on our car and we get on the interstate, there are risks there, but we do things to mitigate that risk. And I always have been going back to what uh, Winston Churchill said. He said, fear is a reaction. Courage is a decision. So we need to start making those decisions that reflect our courage as American people. I hear you. Uh, and that's why you're running for your position to run the G- uh, to run the GOP in Texas. If people want to support you, go to westfortexas.com. Absolutely right. And uh, we appreciate that. And uh, right now, it looks like we'll be down in Austin, Texas this Saturday for a rally about opening up Texas. Not just 25 percent, but uh, getting this going back all the way. All right. Great. Uh, good job, Colonel. Thanks so much for your time as usual. Great job. Thanks. You got it. one 866 408 Gave you a lot to think about, a lot to talk about. We'll read your emails, get to your calls, and find out if there's indeed more to know. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. We've got a, a big hour. To, Colonel West is always great, can handle any topic, and he's got his protest in Austin. Uh, I think that's pretty cool uh, because he's standing up to say, can you give us a shot at living our lives again? Is that possible? Uh, especially if I had a small business. By the way, it's not unusual. The PPP program came back. And there was such demand, and there were so many applications, they just had no funding. When they put the money back in at 10.30 yesterday Eastern time, it was down all day. 
And then when I find out that these other major corporations and colleges like Cornell University, Notre Dame, Yale, Harvard are putting in to get this money and the L.A. Lakers, are you embarrassed? Are you embarrassed? So you give the money back. You said you misunderstood. I'm not buying it, but let's forget it. And Cornell says no, and Notre Dame says no. I have students that need help. Your students have other pathways to get help. Since when do you care about what they do? They got into the school. uh, They're on their own. There's other things they can do with their individual states. Uh, So let's take a quick call. Jeffrey is listening uh, in Georgetown, Kentucky, uh, online. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Brian. Um, I have been very concerned, (laughs) Uh, actually dumbfounded, there's been no discussion of dose in relation to explaining the variation of uh, COVID uh, disease across the country and with different people. I think it's pretty basic because I was taught in medical school, I'm a retired doctor, that the three main factors with how severe a disease is, is the immune strength, the virulence of the disease or the characteristics of the the, substance characters of the virus and, yeah yeah the virus in this case or bacteria or whatever the pathogen and the inoculum or the number of particles that you get in a dose so if somebody has you know a, a fulminant disease they're getting a, a wet cough they cough into their hand and they wipe their hand on a handrail in the subway well everybody who comes along behind them and touches that same area then wipes their eyes is going to get a big dose and so that's going to be a very clear way of transmission and i think it needs to be understood by all these people that are wearing masks and trying to stay 10 feet away outdoors they're worried about the ultraviolet light not killing every single virus particle so that they if they get one they think they're going to die and they need to understand hey, that's the a good point. of yeah. proportion. I just thought that know? once it got in you, it, it grew at the rate it wanted to grow. I didn't think it mattered how much you get, but that's interesting. Did not know that. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate it. Uh, Gary writes me and says, replacing Chinese manufacturing is the topic. This is something I brought up earlier. Uh, well, we contemplate action against China. Keep in mind there are things that are never going to move. Uh, and he goes into detail about Walmart and all these other things that depend on products from China. We don't have to do it right away. First, get essential things out, military things out, national security out, and then we start pulling things out generally and gradually. We find other places like Vietnam and Thailand and Central America to do it. And how about this? How about Americans do it? That might be interesting. Um, So I think you could do that, uh, uh, do both of those things. Thanks, Gary. I appreciate uh, the email. Uh, The other email uh, comes to me from Nancy. Uh, She wanted to know something that everybody wants to know today for some reason, and that is, what flag pin are you wearing? She must be watching Fox Nation. It looks like you're wearing the Texas flag. Yes, with the American flag. It was a gift uh, from these great people of Texas. I went to nine different events. And Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, come out on paperback May 14th. And I'm going to look forward to doing stuff virtual and maybe in person if things loosen up uh, to get everybody aware. I added something to the... Uh, paperback that everyone in Texas knows, and that is Lincoln and Sam Houston may be teaming up. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening to me, everybody. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we'll be joined by Andy Puzner. He used to run the the CEO of uh, All Things Important, like CKE Restaurants. He knows what it's like to try to stand up a restaurant, but how about in this environment, as well as being a senior fellow at the Pepperdine School of Public Policy? Did Pepperdine apply for some money? I mean, my goodness, uh, everybody else seems to have done that when it came to this free money people are uh, getting from the government who don't need it. Andy Puzzle will join us shortly about the economy and the way back. Uh, what is reasonable to think? You know, you have Steve Mnuchin who says, we'll be fine, we'll be start coming back uh, by the summer. Other experts say that's too soon. General Jack Keane on uh, China, the global menace. And is the rest of the world going to unite against this communist country uh, that's sickened the world, as well as the health of Kim Jong-un and more? And uh, Varney and Company simulcast. You'll get to see what I look like if you haven't downloaded the Fox Nation app, which we always stream on and we're streaming today. I uh, hope you're making the best of all this. I, if you're in the Northeast, this thing is called, let me jot this down a second. Um, it's called the sun and we have not seen it much. It is out. Uh, find a way to put on a tank top and get outside and dared Mayor de Blasio to tell you to go inside. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. And you've made every excuse in the world for why the media ought to, should, and does treat this accusation against Joe Biden entirely different than he did Brett Kavanaugh. I'm not certain that Joe Biden will ever be asked tough questions by this press corps about it at all. Bias at best, I mean worst. If you wonder why President Trump's numbers have not soared and Joe Biden has not suffered, let's look at the coverage. We did, and I'm sure you will be outraged, but not surprised. Number two. On Saturday alone, more than 200,000 test results were reported. So we much more than doubled it, and that will be doubling again very shortly. Have enough testing to begin reopening and the reopening process. We want to get our country open. Right. And we keep hearing about testing tactics and techniques. Are we fighting this this virus the right way? And what will it take to get testing to the point where the critics will be calmed? We will tell you the latest gains and frustrations. Number one, the reopening is the therapy, the treatment, the vaccine, if you will, for for the economic calamity that our country is going through. It's a health care crisis, but it's also an economic crisis. And we got to realize that reopening, becoming a state by state story, what we can tell you, what we are seeing and what you are comfortable with when it comes back to going back to business, back to restaurants, back to the life as you left it. And dare I say back to school. President Trump said yesterday, he quote, I think you'll see a lot of schools open up. Some may open before the end of the academic year. He added some governors are not necessarily ready to open up their states, but may be ready to open up their school systems. You know what May 1st is when you declare what college you're going to. So those high school seniors who wonder, am I going to get to go to a graduation ceremony? Uh, Should I go to that college? Uh, If they can't commit to opening up in the fall, why am I paying money to study at home? You ask these college kids, 95% of them hate it. They sit in their room, no matter how nice their house may be, and they stay on a computer, and they have to sit in their Zoom class, or they have written assignments. And a lot of the demand is pretty much the same. The teachers struggle in some cases. And you sit there going, this is not a college experience. And that might not be something you want. Maybe you say, I don't need a college experience. I'm going to go work during the day and do this at night. Or I'm going to find a way to work and stay home. Uh, But I think a lot of people got some big decisions when it comes to schools. 
but also, for the most part, 16 states are opening up portions of their country. We're going to get a taste of our old lives back. Uh, we have a little bit of to wait in New York, obviously, but stay-at-home uh, order expires April 30th. That's Thursday for Florida. Idaho, they got a lot of freedom right now for retail businesses, daycares, and organized sports. Illinois loosened up some restrictions, um, and they're going to do some more on May 1st in Maine. Stay-at-home order expires Thursday. Ohio, Friday. Oklahoma, already at it. Restaurants, dining rooms, movie theaters, sporting venues, gyms, places of worship open by Friday. Tennessee, stay home and orders expires Thursday. Texas uh, is making some progress. Uh, they have some order expiring on the 30th. West Virginia is going to hold off for now. Um, but uh, we'll see how it goes. We have a lot of people who are saying, I think it's time to get out. Others saying we want to take our time and not blow the success we had. Governor Cuomo is somebody who said, basically, I thought he was going to be pushing it back to June 1st. He's starting to look at his whole state and say it really makes no sense. Cut three. So we want to unpause. May 15th is when the pause regulations uh, expire statewide. I will extend them in many parts of the state. Uh, But in some parts of the state, some regions... You could make the case that we should unpause on May 15th. But you have to be smart about it. We all have to be smart about it. Yeah, everyone wants to be smart about it. Uh, the governor's saying that. Nassau and Suffolk County, just so you know, and Long Island, uh, they are having decreasing numbers. Nassau and Suffolk, about 11, 12 straight days. Uh, and, and their economy suffering. As much as they say we want to be smart about it, they look around and there's nothing in their wallets. So Gavin Newsom, uh, happy with his numbers, getting a lot of accolades, but still using taxpayer dollars to pay illegal immigrants, which I'll never be okay with, never be okay with the sanctuary city and the magnet process, the magnet process, which is the magnet that he has when he says you can have sanctuary here for those on the southern border. Gavin Newsom said, I saw everyone at the beach enjoying themselves. Cut seven. We can't see the images like we saw, particularly on Saturday in Newport Beach and elsewhere in the state of California. We will avail ourselves to more aggressive enforcement uh, of the stay-at-home order, of the social distancing, uh, of the guidelines and procedures. And if there are people thumbing their nose and abusing it, putting their lives uh, at risk because they're impacting the lives of others uh, and ultimately setting back the cause of reopening the economy as quickly as we'd like to, I think we may have to do a little bit more. Uh, don't threaten people like that. I know uh, he says he might be a little frustrated. You just, all you do is you put people on the beach and monitors. Hey, hey guys, can you separate a little bit? Uh, can you put this down here? Uh, don't line up like that. And then people will get the message and they'll have peer pressure separating them. Don't threaten to close the beach. Uh, these people have been kept up now for a month and a half. Uh, they see a beautiful day. They also hear about the sunshine being, um, being a way to kill the virus. And being outdoors has never been bad. People have to understand there's risk with everything. The Americans understand that. Governor Christie even said that. Uh, Bill Bennett has said that. Here's Governor Christie, cut 14. It's very important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's important, but if we wait until we can test every American to be able to reopen our economy, we won't have an economy left. That's the truth. So don't be upset the job's not there. At the same time, not be uh, willing to end the stay-at-home order or support the stay-at-home order. you got to do what you're comfortable with. Uh, but for the most part, if you are young, 
if you don't have underlying conditions, if you are smart about it with washing your hands and keeping your distance through the summer, as we hear the experts say we have to do, I think you're going to be okay. In terms of testing, we're hearing everything. We're hearing people come together and say the testing is not where it should be and uh, there's got to be more done. We're seeing let states have it. We're seeing the federal government be the backup. States are happy about that one day. They're not happy about it the next. Here's Admiral uh, Brett Giroir. Uh, he's the president's uh, guy in charge of getting this testing standing up. He says we are making progress. Cut 21. The reason why we're here with ACLA Labs having done about 3 million tests is because of that day when it was galvanized by the president and the vice president. We will be able to supply every state with the, with the uh, supplies and the tests that they need that will dramatically increase the number of tests we've done to this point. And just to give you an idea, the supplies that we will be providing to states, the minimum that we're supplying to states is approximately double in that month than the Republic of Korea has performed in the four months to now accumulated to give you an idea of the amount of testing that we're going to be going to be doing. So just tell me one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. if you want a test, can you get a test? So there's been five point four six million tests done as of Sunday, according to the COVID tracking project. It's huge number, but less impressive, they say considering the number comes out to 1.7% of the U.S. population. In contrast, other major economies have accounted for um, a 2.5%, like Germany uh, did on April 21st, conducted uh, 2.7 million tests, equivalent to 2.5% of the German population. It's a lot easier. I mean, you want to go walk to the farms of Montana? Do you want to stay in the major cities of America? Bill Frist, though, Republican, Mike Levitt of Utah, former uh, Republican Health and Human Services is secretary, former guest here. Mark McClellan, who served as SDA commissioner under Bush. Uh, they combined to say the officials urged Congress to provide $46 billion in additional funding, with more than half of them earmarked new payments to allow Americans to stay home from work and voluntarily self-isolate. They wanted to continue. And they also want $12 billion, as needed, they said, to hire 180,000 additional contact tracers around the country. Nice. We'll print more money and spend more money that we don't have. You tell me where you stand on this, one 866 About the economy, that'll be Andrew Puzner next. And then uh, we're going to, at the bottom of the hour, talk to General Jack Keane. And then we'll open up the phones and emails. Busy day, Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, 22 minutes after the top of the hour. Uh, we're going to be joined by Andy Puzder for, uh, in a matter of moments, senior fellow at Pepperdine School of Public Policy. He's also a former CEO of CKE Restaurants and author of his brand-new book, Getting America Back to Work, which obviously uh, when you had 2% or 3% unemployment, that wouldn't have been a good title. Now it's a little bit different, but he has a, a different view on what it's going to take. He's much more optimistic. In fact, here's what Secretary of Treasury Steve Mnuchin said and got a little blowback on. 
I think as we begin to reopen the economy in May and June, you're going to see the economy really bounce back in July, August, September. And we are putting in an unprecedented amount of fiscal relief into the economy. You're seeing trillions of dollars that's making its way into the economy. And I think this is going to have a significant impact. I hope so, uh, because we're certainly taking a considerate risk. Printing money we don't have into a deficit that was already way too big. So the bigger question is Rescue 4. Almost everybody agrees now we're going to have a Rescue 4 package. Uh, Nancy Pelosi wants to get started right away. Uh, Sex Schumer urging Mitch McConnell to start right away. He famously came out and said, listen, I don't really want to be bailing out every state. I already gave you a lot of money. Andrew Cuomo says, we give a lot of money into the federal government that pays for other lesser earning states, more rural states like, let's say, Kentucky. Here's what Mitch McConnell said, though, in return. If you want state and local funding, what you got to give, cut 38. I was pointing out that they have their own fiscal problems that predate the coronavirus. And I was not interested in borrowing money from future generations to fix age-old problems that states have. Uh, that they created themselves, wholly unrelated uh, to this. There probably will be another state and local um, uh, funding bill, but we need to make sure that we achieve something that will go beyond simply sending uh, sending out money. Yeah, uh, and this is what he said, though, what he wants in return, which matters a lot. Now, think about this. If you go back to work and your employer uh, says, I made it safe, and he, make, does, he or she does everything they can to make it safe, and you come back and somehow get the virus or get somebody else sick in your house, and you turn around and sue your employer, they're not going to take the risk. They're not going to open up the school, the university, the business. So he says this, what they want to return. Cut 39. Here's something I just announced today that's going to be my red line for the next negotiation. We have brave health care workers battling this virus, entrepreneurs who reopen their economy, all of whom uh, deserve, in my view, strong protections from the opportunistic lawsuits that are being planned all over America. So before we start sending additional money down to states and localities, I want to make sure that we protect uh, the people we've already sent assistance to uh, who are going to be set up for an avalanche of lawsuits if we don't act. That's interesting. Uh, Mitch, I would love for you to pick up the pace a little. I might save another hour of my show, but that's interesting. That might be a nice trade-off. So what you do is you, you guard your space. You say, what do you need? Well, these states need, uh, need money just to pay their bills. Well, how much can we give you? What are you going to spend it on? Fine. This is what we want to return. You got to cover the liability or offer liability to these major businesses, J.P. Morgan Chase and others that want to get their hundreds in responsibly and don't want to be sued by them and have their company destroyed. So as we sit there and try to stand this country back up, it's a matter of providing jobs and opportunity, right? It's a matter of getting people confidence to go back, right? Listen to what Nancy Pelosi wants to do. Cut 40. As we go forward, let's see what works, what is operational and what needs uh, other attention. Others have suggested a minimum income for uh, a guaranteed income for people. Is that worthy of attention now? Perhaps so, because there are many more people than just in small business and hired by small business. Mandatory money for doing nothing. So beyond unemployment, the grants, the stimulus, we'll just give everyone $1,000, everybody. Does that make sense? 
Andy Puzner joins us now. He's the uh, former CEO of CKE Restaurants, author of a brand new book, Getting America Back to Work. Uh, Andy, as people come up with new ideas, is that an idea you can get behind? Guaranteed income? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's a terrible idea. Look, you want things that encourage people to work. You want to encourage investments. You want to encourage businesses to grow and to hire and you want to encourage people to work. We don't have an economy if everybody's getting a guaranteed income and nobody's showing up for their jobs. You just We have no economic growth and no prosperity. But they already told us to stay home and not doing anything. Why can't we ask for free money? <laughs> well, the idea of staying home and not doing anything is a temporary sort of a bridge economy to get us from the, 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 uh, the worst point of this uh, COVID-19 crisis uh, to back to where we can do things um, as we at least as close as we get to the way we used to do them normally. So it's, we do have some monies that the government's expending to address this pandemic, to address a crisis, which is what's government's for. I mean, they, they're very good at addressing things like wars and pandemics, and they're addressing this one. However, when the crisis so, abates, yeah. when we go past it, you can't, you can't implement these central planned government policies and expect to have a functioning economy. How do we give America back to work, confidence to go back to work and to hire? Well, I think we're already seeing that. I'm in Tennessee. and we, The governor opened up uh, 89 of the 96 counties in Tennessee yesterday. The other six are in metropolitan areas, and he's working with the, uh, the uh, county leaders in those counties to try and get them open as well. Uh, so we're starting to see Americans saying, look, we need to get back to work. Uh, for younger people, this isn't as big a threat as we thought it was going to be. We need to get the economy going. We need to be safe. We need to protect people uh, that are at risk. But otherwise, we need to get life back to normal. So I think you're starting to see that. What we can't let happen is we can't let progressives take advantage of this situation. You know, the old progressive mantra that you never let a crisis go to waste. Well, they're clearly Schumer and Pelosi and AOC are clearly trying to use this crisis to implement these central planning policies that they love, these big government policies. Uh, we can't let that happen. Luckily, we have a strong president, so I don't think we will let it happen. Yeah, uh, you're right. Uh, you quote uh, Johns Hopkins University who says, the virus is lethal, but so is poverty. And that's what your book's about, how to avoid that. Uh, Andrew Puzzler uh, over at Pepperdine with a brand new book, Getting America Back to Work. Appreciate it, Andrew. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. You got it. Uh, General Jack Keene is next. Bring us inside the world hotspots in a simulcast with Marnie and Company, and then we'll squeeze in your calls. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I can't tell you uh, exactly. Yes, I do have a very good idea, but I can't talk about it now. I just wish him well. I've had a very good relationship with Kim Jong-un. If I weren't president, you'd be in war. You would have been in war with Korea. You would have been in war with North Korea if I wasn't president. That I can tell you. He expected that. That I can tell you. Uh, I... uh, I hope he's uh, fine. I do know how he's doing, relatively speaking. Uh, We will uh, see. You'll probably be hearing in the not-too-distant future. Uh, There's the President of the United States speaking yesterday about North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, who's been uh, invisible since April 14th, but evidently writing letters 
uh, but we know his train is in this compound, and we know we've not seen him to celebrate his grandfather's birth. How significant is that? General Jack Keane uh, is with us now, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and Fox News senior strategic analyst. General, since we last talked, has anything uh, come to light in your world to tell us what's going on with Kim Jong-un? Well, I think the president's statement in of itself is quite revealing. Uh, I mean, there's been speculation uh, that he's been uh, that he died, you know, as a result of uh, surgery or, or a heart problem or something to that effect. And the president uh, seems to be indicating that he's quite alive and that he wishes him well, etc. So, I think that that removes the speculation that that he's uh, that he hasn't died. I mean, it, it is sort of interesting about this regime. I mean, Kim Jong-un obviously is enjoying the speculation about what has happened to him. Uh, if he is if he is alive, as the president seems to indicate he is, because certainly he can remove all of this doubt and speculation just by m- making an announcement to that effect. Uh, so he, he continues to uh, as we've seen in the past, he's he's enjoyed some kind of international acclaim and 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 recognition as a result of either his rhetoric, and this time uh, it's quite the opposite, largely because of his silence and lack of physical appearance and anything for the last month or so. I mean, it could be coronavirus. I mean, he's overweight. He's got breathing issues. He might have other problems. He was remember he walked around with a cane. He disappeared last time. He emerged with a cane. So, uh, you know, I know Tucker Carlson has said repeatedly, I was, I was standing right next to him. The guy is wheezing after a 20-yard walk. So you got to think that there's something health-related. There was that report, too, that Chinese doctors came in over the weekend uh, to either help him with his rehab or uh, try to save him. What's at stake here? Well, certainly if there's an unscheduled change in the regime uh, as a result of uh, – of his passing away, or there's uh, some immobilization uh, of him that would lead to, you know, a, a period of time that would pass. Uh, we would likely see some kind of power grab. Uh, certainly, um, what the what the Kims have always wanted to do is they they want a, a bloodline succession, and that would lead to obviously his sister or his uncle, who are part of that bloodline vastly different in age and, and probably she has more uh, influence uh, with the elites because of her proximity to her brother uh, than what the uncle had who has been out of the country for a number of years pulling one diplomatic right. tour after another uh, but nonetheless her her power base may not be what it should be because remember the pattern in the past has always been to designate the successor in advance provide that successor uh, much more access um, to the power base than what the what they had before and that uh, consolidation of power begins to take place before the transition Uh, and that's happening here obviously so that would lead to a maybe possibly for the first time uh, a contested succession and uh, that I, I think that's remote. I think it's least likely, but it is a possibility. But it's also the most dangerous, to be frank, Brian, because that could lead to violence. And uh, this is a country that has a nuclear arsenal and ballistic missiles 
and has likely, as we know, with WMD, we're not we're not certain of the extensiveness of it, but we we know it's there, and right. and any kind of uh, violence like that um, could lead to a destabilization, and then that would end the United States and China. I, we have plans to uh, to seize the the nuclear arsenal and state and to help stabilize the country, and so that nuclear arsenal does not get in the wrong hands. China likely has similar plans themselves. The sad thing is we can't, uh, we've tried to coordinate something like that together so we can put a plan together to do that, and the, the Chinese refuse to talk to us about it. So that would be the worst-case scenario. I don't think that's that's going to take place here because it sounds like this, he, he, he's been ill and um, and the president is wishing him well. So uh, we're likely going to see Kim Jong-un back on the, on the so-called throne again when he makes his public appearance. The other big issue is China. Uh, and now there seems to be uh, global unrest about China and how much they've cost us with lives and money. Uh, there's a, China, there's a, a very prominent uh, German magazine that says they basically cost Germany $160 billion and they might supply the invoice. So Australia is doing their own investigation. Here's what Senator Lindsey Graham hopes, Cup 43. Here's my plea to my Democratic colleagues. Please don't give China a pass for this pandemic. Work with me to compel China to do three things that need to be done. Number one, fully cooperate with any investigation regarding how the virus originated U.S. and international community. Number two, close all the wet markets that serve exotic wildlife like bats and monkeys where a lot of this comes from. And three, release all the Hong Kong democracy advocates that have been jailed since the virus started. We're going to put sanctions on China till they do those three things. And I need Democrats. Democrats have been very silent when it comes to China. Please do not give China a pass. So do you support all three of those things from Senator Graham's proposing? Yeah, I don't have any problem with uh, with any of that. And I do believe there should be an, an international investigation. I mean, the, the, the facts seem indisputable to me that obviously they, they kept us in the dark about the origin of it. Obviously, they kept the world in the dark about the human-to-human transfer until it became so blatantly obvious when they, when they shut down Yubei province and Wuhan city themselves. But, and, and the most damning of all, I believe, is, is permitting international flights out of uh, Wuhan city uh, when they shut down domestic flights uh, worst, throughout yeah. China. And, and, and contributed to a, an epidemic becoming a pandemic. I, I, I think that's unavoidable, that that accusation. And, and certainly an investigation would help with the origin uh, of the virus. And I think that still would benefit scientists uh, to know. Certainly the, the CCP by this time uh, knows that. And and most countries, when they, when they are the origin of an epidemic, much less a world pandemic, right. have always permitted scientists to come in to, to assist them in trying to determine uh, what was the cause. And, and these guys have, you know, shut all of that down. Got about 90 seconds left. If you were Secretary of Defense now, this is a terrible situation for us to be in. We're not out of it yet, but we know who the guilty party is, and it's China, and they've lied and deceived about it. How do you make the most of this so when we emerge with our allies, we're stronger and, and people understand exactly what we're dealing with with communist China. 
What would you work with the State Department to do? Well, we we need a comprehensive strategy, whole of government, which has been written because I was I was briefed on it by an NSC official. It was written uh, in the first year of the Trump administration, um, and and it's and it's moving it's moving the United States from looking at China as a competitor and someone we should cooperate with to uh, a predator, both economically, geopolitically, and militarily. And therefore, we should confront them and contain them in addition to some level of cooperation. But we need a comprehensive strategy to do that. It is written, but it's it's unevenly executed. That that has to take place, number one. And the Defense Department uh, needs to step up more comprehensively in dealing with China's threat. I mean, there's obviously some basing issues there that are very vulnerable to long-range missiles. What are we doing to protect those bases? It's got to be considerably more than uh, than, than Navy ships, um, missile defense ships that, that, are, that are in the region. Um, where are we going to base our long-range bombers if those bases uh, in the first right. island chain, second island chain are threatened? So we, the, the Defense Department needs to relook its strategy to confront and contain uh, uh, right. China. General, thanks so much. Uh, it's something we got to look at and start planning for, not winging. Uh, General Jack Keane, always great. Thank you, sir. Yeah, good talking to you, Brian. You got it. Uh, when we come back, uh, we do a simulcast with Stuart Varney and more, and then we take your calls. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. In a few minutes, I'll go on with Stuart Varney, but I always leave some time at the back end to take some of your calls. So begin lining up at 1-866-408-7669. And then uh, keep in mind, too, we've just gotten word that Governor DeSantis uh, we'll be having a press conference with the President of the United States at about 11.30 from the White House Eastern Time. So, of course, that'll be a wide, uh, a wide swath of questions. Uh, Governor DeSantis is saying, taking it slow, but beginning to open up portions of Florida that he feels should be opened up. Uh, very different from Governor Kemp, where he felt as though the President did, that Governor Kemp was getting ahead of the game. So let's listen into Stuart Varney right precisely. now. Precisely. That means Brian Kilmeade, host of the Brian Kilmeade Show, joins me and I join him. Brian, I really like this NFL plan. They're going to get a season in. OK, so it's shortened, but it's a season. I think that's terrific. Yeah, I mean, normally they'd be doing something in the spring and then having immediately get their draft picks in this week uh, and then have another uh, have uh, June off and they get started in July, late July, August. But this time, it looks like they're going to start October 15th. They're going to finish up February 28th, they think. That, I think that's a Sunday or 24th. I forgot. Uh, but basically, no bye week, play 16 straight games. And hopefully, that's with an audience. You know, they're making great progress with these vaccines. They got one in Oxford that's extremely encouraging. So that, if the NFL is giving a template to college football, maybe college football follows the same way, Stuart, because you'd hate well, to see – a whole year of college football revenue and the players yeah. not get that chance to play. 
What about this? If they put these games on TV and there's no audience, no fans in the stands, what about putting in a, a laugh, a, a, you know, a sound, a audio effects, I mean, sound effects like cheering and defense, defense, that kind of thing? What's wrong with that? You mean, uh, you mean like a Kevin James sitcom or like, you know, King of Queens with laughter and... Uh and uh, cheering. Well, not the laughter uh, it's so not much unusual. as... Uh, right. well, what, what, I mean, yeah. look, a game with no fans is really strange. I've seen soccer games with do, no fans. Yeah. It's, it's odd. It's not the same. So why not put some sound effects in there? I hear the Bundesliga is starting this weekend without fans. So they might do sound effects. You know, for, for teams to get used to loud stadiums like Seattle... They will practice and blast sound noise from stadium noise of cheering and yelling and screaming. So it wouldn't be that weird. The whole thing's going to be strange. If you sweeten it, it's going to be bad. And if it's silent, it's going to be bad. But you know what's really bad? No games at all. Yes, that would be, that's awful. That's real bad news. Quickly, the NBA says no earlier than May the 8th to allow individual workouts in cities which are not subject to government restrictions. That means you could have some guys practicing and doing workouts in some states that allow it, but no practicing, no workouts in states which won't allow it. I mean, that's, that's a problem, I'd say. In a way, uh, but the, Knicks, uh, the Nets have playoff aspirations, have a shot at it. The Knicks are just a terrible team again. But the word is they're going to probably move them over to Philadelphia if Pennsylvania loosens up a little bit or go somewhere and maybe let the team work out in another city. We're all adjusting our lives for this. I don't see them being that upset by that. But in the big picture, I was surprised to see they wanted to start May 1st this Friday. And the teams push back. The teams and players push back. They did not feel secure going back in many cases. And they were going to come back four, four at a time. So play four, you know, work out a little bit, four leave. The other four come in after two hours. And still teams weren't like that. Remember, the NBA was the team that started all these leagues saying was suspending play. It was Mark Cuban famously sitting in the stands while his Mavericks played when he got word that there can't, this will be the last game of the NBA season for now. So the NBA's got a couple of weeks left, then they're going to go to playoffs. They will be without fans. They'll be the first yeah. ones to play without fans. That's the right. NHL is talking about neutral sites in areas like North Dakota and South Dakota. And maybe if Minnesota continues on the track, it is. But I, I think they'll go right to the playoffs. And that'll, have, that, you know, that'll make people at least something to watch at night. Yes. You know, that's it's right. Besides, that's right. besides us. You'll get Not something. Not that we're bad, but people want sports. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Yeah, I do want sports. I really do. Hey, Brian, you're all right. We'll see you again soon, okay? Good stuff. Thank you. All right. He's always surprised when I'm all right. All right. Uh, Stuart, thank you very much. 1-866-408-7669. Um, Linda, listening on 97.1 in St. Louis. Hey, Linda. Hey, Brian. I love your show. I saw you come here to, with your book, The Alamo. I loved it. Um, anyway, I just want to say, it's time we open the economy. My God, my chances of being killed in a car accident are a lot greater than me not only getting the coronavirus, but dying from the coronavirus. And we don't shut us down because we might be killed in a car accident, number one. And number two, the chance of even getting this is like 0.1%, and my chances of dying from this are like even less. 
So, I mean, come on. This overreaction, I think, is we can take precautions. We've all been educated now for the last six weeks being locked up, knowing about face masks and hand sanitizing. We're all doing that. The rest is up to us to make our own decisions. If we get sick, then we get sick. But the chances of getting better are like 90%, unless you're old and you have a compromised health situation. But these Democrats want to keep it closed so we can make it look like, oh, my God, the economy is tanking. It's never going to come back. Keep it closed till right before the election to make Trump look bad. This is so freaking political. I'm sick of it. And this thing with Biden, well, when are they going to talk about Hunter Biden? That's kind of gone under the under the board, too. Yeah, you want to wait on that if you're if tactically anyway and bring that up. But right now it's all about Trump and how he handles this. Missouri is not in the top 10 states. New York is number one, 22,000 deaths, 291,000, almost 20, 292,000 cases. But you guys aren't even in the top 10. So I really understand your frustration. I feel the frustration because my county is 12 straight days of decreases. This state uh, is down. New York City is down. And I think Governor Cuomo, I think the Democrats, I fear that too. But Linda, I don't fear it now. I think that these states understand if there's nothing in their coffers, they're going to pay the price, especially if it's looked at as if they delayed unnecessarily. There's a point where you say, you're not keeping me safe, you're holding me back. And when I saw the Colorado governor, the Democratic Colorado governor, do exactly what the Georgia governor got is doing, I was hopeful that people are just caring about the country and their citizens first. So keep your fingers crossed. Uh, the president is speaking at 1130. We're not sure if he's going to do a presser uh, later on this afternoon. Uh, but me, his buddy is uh, Governor DeSantis. Right now, he is trailing in Florida by about four or five points. Uh, if he wants to win again, he's got to close that gap. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade, Brian Kilmeade Show. Moving forward, this hour, we're going to be joined by Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. Uh, she's working, doing the hard job of working in emergency rooms here in New York City. Also, wonderful for giving insight and answering your questions. If you got some great questions, uh, email me. Uh, uh, just go to BrianKilmeade.com and just click on contacts. This way, I'll get to them quick. And if there are if they're good questions that haven't been answered a million times, I will uh, absolutely uh, you ask uh, the doctor that. Uh, we're also going to be talking to uh, Chris Dyerwalt, and this hour we're going to be joined. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, what has done. It's already been an interview. We haven't gotten the tape yet of Governor DeSantis and President Trump together uh, in the Oval Office. So we will see uh, what they had to say to each other and whether there's going to be a presser later on today, which yesterday was relatively tame considering the way it's been. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And you've made every excuse in the world for why the media ought to, should, and does treat this accusation against Joe Biden entirely different than he did Brett Kavanaugh. I'm not certain that Joe Biden will ever be asked tough questions by this press corps about it at all. Uh, That is uh, a very frustrated Karl Rove, talking about the difference between him and his buddy Kavanaugh and the way they're both treated. 
Bias at its best. I mean worst. If you wonder why President Trump's numbers have not soared and Joe Biden has not suffered, let's take a look at the coverage. We did, and I'm sure you will be outraged, but yet not surprised. Number two. On Saturday alone, more than 200,000 test results were reported. So we much more than doubled it, and that will be doubling again very shortly. Have enough testing to begin reopening and the reopening process. We want to get our country open. Uh, We all do. The tactics and techniques. Are we fighting this virus the right way? What will it take to get testing to the point where we can say we are winning and we have hit the threshold? We'll tell you the latest gains and frustrations. Number one. The reopening is the therapy, the treatment, the vaccine, if you will, for for the economic calamity that our country is going through. It's a health care crisis, but it's also an economic crisis. Uh, That is Trey Gowdy, of course, reopening, becoming a state-by-state story. What we will tell you and what we are seeing. Are you comfortable with going back to business yourself? Are you comfortable going back to school, as the president has brought up? president brought up yesterday, hey, I think you'll see a lot of schools open up. Some may even open up at the end of the academic year, before the end of the academic year. Not necessarily ready to open up by state by state, but maybe ready to open up uh, their school systems. We'll see. Texas and Ohio, other states, took steps to ease their lockdown. Florida, stay-at-home orders expire Thursday. Idaho, same thing. Illinois will loosen up. Oklahoma will loosen up big time. I'm curious how this is going to go. Dining rooms open. Movie theaters open. Sporting venues open. Gyms open. And are your treadmills spaced? Are your ellipticals spaced? What are you doing about the dumbbells? What are you doing about your classes? I know in my gym they already said they've already handled it. They've already roped off treadmills in anticipation of opening up. So there's every other one now. And then with uh, classes, they spaced them out 15 minutes between classes so they could have cleaning crews go, go whipping in there and clean the whole place up. And have people on the floor with spray bottles following everybody around, and they hope people will take responsibilities. That'll, be, that'll enable people to get back to gyms. Some might say, this is too much of a hassle. I'm going to stay home and work and sit in my Peloton. And that might be fine, too. So should we give, give these people an opportunity to save their livelihoods? Because there's a downside to not being able to do that. And we've seen that over and over again. Um, In terms of our economy, it's going to take a lot to stand it back up because we stopped it. We stopped it dead in its track in March. And we basically finished out April, in the middle of March, we finished out April doing absolutely nothing. Here's the president talking about the mood in the White House and around the country. Cut one. There's a hunger for getting our country back, and it's happening. And it's happening faster than people would think. Ensuring the health of our economy is vital to ensuring the health of our nation. These goals work in tandem. They work side by side. It's clear that our aggressive strategy to slow the spread has been working. It has. That's why just about everywhere, uh, everything is going down. Uh, More tameable numbers, uh, numbers that we can work with. I don't have the numbers that are decreasing right now. All I have is totals. Uh, President Trump uh, also talked about schools. Andrew Cuomo talked about unpausing portions of New York. Greg Abbott, governor of Texas, talked about going to 25% capacity. Uh, Gretchen Whitmer, who has, to me, handled this terribly, has really turned this into a, uh, a blue and red issue. Talked about reopening her, con- uh, her state. Cut five. We have to get this right. None of us, I'm confident when I say none of us, wants to see a second wave, and we can't risk that from happening. If we move forward and everything looks okay for a few weeks, we can look to expanding activity on the next level. Additional outdoor enterprises that we feel pose low risk. 
We'll also be looking at residential and commercial construction. Uh, that industry, for example, will be one of the first sectors to return to work. Good. Get them out there. I don't know why they've stopped. Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee, cut 11. Well, we made our decisions primarily based on data. We've had weeks of downward decline in our cases. We've had stable uh, capacity in our health system. We have had a decreasing positivity rate for weeks. And we knew that our economy can't stay closed. Uh, We also know that social distancing works and that we can't just open the doors wide open uh, with a serious health risk out there. So as as leaders, we're, we're tasked with finding a way forward. And in Tennessee, we have cracked the door. Uh, you know, business leaders and the unemployed, they need to see some light and they need to have some hope that we can move beyond where we've been the last few weeks, which is unsustainable. So we have done just that. Well, we hope that just that is enough. And then you wonder in the big picture, is it just time to get back and put risk aside? I I look at this New York Post uh, op-ed from an emergency room doctor who wrote in St. Barnabas in hospital in the Bronx. He says, I'm an emergency room physician. COVID-19 has been the worst healthcare disaster of my 30-year career because of its intensity, duration, and potential for a lasting impact. He goes on, the lasting impact is what worries me the most. And that's why I now believe we should end the lockdown and rapidly get back to work first. The wave had crested. At 1 p.m. April 7th, let's say 28th, the wave passed over us, peaked and subsided. Second, I worry about non-coronavirus care. While the inpatient units remain busy with sick COVID-19 patients, our ER here in New York has been quiet for the last week. That means our patients in this diverse, low-income community are afraid to come into the ER. Our pediatric volume in the ER has disappeared. Third, inordinate fear misguides the public response. While COVID-19 is serious, fear of it is overamplified. That is a doctor and not the only one. Some, like Dr. Dan Erickson in Stanford, said this about what we should be doing. Cut 16. Something else is going on here. This is not about science and it's not even about COVID. When they use the word safe, the word safe, if you listen to the word safe, that's about controlling you. He went on, cut 15. 0.03 chance of dying from COVID in the state of California. Is that, does that necessitate sheltering in place? Does that necessitate shutting down medical systems? Does that necessitate people being out of work? When you're a little child crawling on the ground, putting stuff in your mouth, viruses and bacteria come in, you form an antigen antibody complex. This is how your immune system is built. You don't take a small child Put them in bubble wrap in a room and say, go have a healthy immune system. And that's what people are saying. If it turns out that many more people had it in California and New York especially, and we didn't know it, and you have an immunity to it, that's why I take these immunity tests. It shows the antibody showed you had it or didn't. We don't know if it makes you immune to the next virus attack or this virus in six months or if there's an expiration date on it. But it shows if you had it and walked through it, didn't even realize you had it, because your symptoms were so light. Doesn't mean you're tougher than anybody else. It's just how your system absorbed this. Look at the economic damage, the psychological damage, the the alcohol abuse, the drug abuse, the domestic violence. And it makes you wonder, we got to do this and we got to do it quick. Britt Hume weighed in, cut 18. The federal government, you know, has a, a serious public interest in the public health. 
but it does not override the constitutional rights that we all have without a, you know, without major defense of doing that. In other words, they need to prove the case that what they're doing is necessary. And, you know, knowing what we know, for example, about, you know, who gets this disease and who doesn't, whether the whole nation should be under a lockdown with constitutional rights being infringed all over the place is, is, is an issue. And, you know, I think that, that we're going to find that um, when religious freedom, for example, is being impinged, uh, that, that there better be a good case to be made for it. And so much of what we've seen, it seems so arbitrary uh, that I don't think it w could withstand constitutional muster if people started taking this stuff to court, as has happened in several cases. So we'll see, because the attorney general is going to get involved if he feels as though it's too restrictive. And we had a caller earlier that said, I worry this is Democrat and Republican thing, and Democratic states are not going to stand up early. They don't want the economy to turn around too quick for this president. So if that's a worry, that's why the attorney general is there. And that's why you're there to speak up if, being, if you feel you're being unusually repressed. Another person that knows the reality of the emergency room does it every single day, Dr. Jeanette Neshwat. Are things getting better? Does she agree with this editorial in the New York Post? And what are your questions? Well, we'll try to get to all that when we return. Brian Kilmeade Show, thanks for being here. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. You know, the private sector has been involved. It was the magnitude of involvement. I mean, I think we've really understood that you've got to bring the test to the community. Whether it's drive-through, whether it's walk-through, the community has to feel like tests are available to them. So just having it at hospitals or clinics was not going to be enough. And so that part of this is critically important to expand community testing. Uh, that is uh, Dr. Burks uh, talking about the need to have everybody pitch in in the community. They had Walmart, uh, CVS there yesterday talking about how they're going to help quadruple testing. Will it be enough? Dr. Jeanette uh, Neshwat joins us now, MD, Fox News contributor, Family Emergency Medicine. Dr. Neshwat, always great to talk to you. Uh, first off, Thanks, when you Brian. look around, where you, well, great to hear from you. When you look around, when you go to work at the hospital, are things getting better or worse? Things are definitely getting better. I still have a lot of sick patients, but the number of patients have gone down tremendously in this past couple of weeks. So that's definitely reassuring. But um, we're still seeing some people, however, that aren't adhering to the social distancing guidelines. So we're doing great as far as the number of deaths and hospitalizations. We want to, but we want to keep it that way. Uh, better. Okay. I, st I don't know if you saw this this editorial in the New York Post uh, and an emergency room doctor who said. There's so many open beds. People are afraid to go to the emergency room. It's time to uh, lift the restrictions. Do you feel as though hospitals are inordinately suffering now with empty beds and can bring back surgeries that aren't corona-related? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we need to start opening up. We need to start allowing elective surgeries. We still need to take precautions when you're going into the hospital, wear your facial covering, wear your mask, make sure you're washing your hands disinfect counter surfaces and tops, that sort of thing. But yes, we need to now allow the hospitals to function as they have been, but we just have to make sure that the hospital is prepared to be able to enact social distancing. If you have a waiting room, how are you going to have your chairs laid out? Are you going to have the hand sanitizer there? Are you going to have masks? 
Um, so right. you definitely start need, need to start opening up. Absolutely. So uh, are you for on May 15th starting to look at opening up parts of Manhattan? And if so, when do we deal with the subways and buses? How do we deal with them and trains? Yeah. So, yeah. So I think, like, for example, New York, we're doing a great job in following the CDC guidelines, unlike Georgia and Tennessee and Colorado, who are opening without that initial 14 day downward um, decline in the number of cases. We are seeing what's already been one week for us of downward decline in cases. So, yes. May 15th, we will be able to enter phase one. But let's remember, phase one still includes those who are most vulnerable have to still shelter at home. But um, and but everyone else can continue, but with uh, social distancing guidelines and um, certain, you know, uh, criteria and protocols that they have to follow. As far as the buses and the subways, that's, that's a challenge. That's difficult because most people have to get to work um, by using the public transportation so what they can do is, for example, limit the number of people on the buses. It's going to be difficult. Um, this isn't something we've ever dealt with before. This is uncharted territories, but they're going to have to start limiting the number of people. We can't have a jam-packed subway because otherwise we're going to be the, where we were two weeks ago, you know, with thousands of people dying a day. I guess more trains running more often yeah. because I've never been on a packed yeah. train. I take a train home every day when, when I go back to the yeah. city. I've never been on a train after 2 o'clock that wasn't packed, after 3 o'clock. Yeah. So I don't know how they're going to do that. But these are some of the hurdles. People want to be dealing with this again. The shelter-at-home thing, I think people are reaching their limits, uh, and some are questioning it. Do you ever question it? Do you ever question that uh, maybe we're overreacting when you do the math that only 0.5% will lose their lives to this and that there's other diseases that would do the same? Initially, absolutely not. We had no idea what we were dealing with. Would, would everyone who's complaining about that now been, been satisfi- satisfied if, if 50 million people were dead versus 50,000? If we knew what we were dealing with, that's one thing. But we, this is a new virus. We didn't know how it was going to behave. We didn't know how many people it was going to kill. So we had to go above and beyond and take every necessary precaution until we figure out what the heck we were dealing with. This is one of the most wicked, evil, nastiest viruses I've ever seen in my life. Um, it, is, it affects every part of the body. I mean, it's causing strokes in 30-year-olds. It, I've never seen so many people with what we call pulmonary embolisms, which are blood clots in their lungs and in their legs, in young, healthy people. I've never seen so many young, healthy people on ventilators before. So I think it was important to take precaution um, and, and go above and beyond initially. But now that we know how this virus acts and behaves, okay, we need to, you know, relax a little bit, dial down, dial back, but yet still do it safely and, and smart with the data that we have. Word is Oxford's making the most progress on vaccines to provide the most encouragement. Have you read this? And if so, are you encouraged by this? This is, this is a step in the right direction. This will probably go down in history as the world's fastest produced vaccine. Um, I am concerned, however, about the safety and efficacy because um, you have to go through trials and, and normally it takes 10 to 15 years for a vaccine to get onto the market because you have to check for what's the proper dosage. Do you need one vaccine or two vaccines to establish immunity? Is it safe? Is it going to cause any secondary um, side effects such as paralysis? Like, oh, There's a disease called Guillain-Barre 
syndrome that we see um, with some vaccines. So uh, it's concerning about the side effects okay. that it hasn't been uh, tested. But, you know, we're, we're in a desperate situation. So um, if it doesn't show any severe deaths uh, in large numbers, then that's great. We need, we need to try it. Hey, real quick, uh, Shane Elliott wrote me, do we know if COVID-19 can be transmitted by mosquitoes? That's a great question. As of right now, it does not show that mosquitoes act as a vector for transmission of this virus as it does, for example, with West Nile virus or malaria or Zika. But I mean, still take precautions. If we're going out to an area and there's mosquitoes, put some you know, spray repellent, some DEET on. We're, we're long sleeve clothing. Just take precaution until we know more about this virus. But right now, there's no evidence Go get that it is a vector. Uh, doctors, uh, stay safe. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Have a good one. We'll talk to you later. You too. Chris Darwolf on the politics uh, and the bias. Bias is not unexpected. It's not new. I have never seen it this severe. I'm going to bounce it off Chris next. And we'll get to maybe some tape from Governor DeSantis and the president taking some questions from the Oval Office. Don't move. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's amazing to me the double standard, the double standard that was applied to Brett Kavanaugh, who had an accuser who had no corroborating evidence, couldn't even remember critical details, was a the Supreme Court justice nominee, was wow. eviscerated in the press, total focus on it. And on this thing, we're seeing nothing similar. And the New York Times editor says that the reason that they paid attention to Kavanaugh was it was a hot, a red hot story. Uh, he was in the middle of a confirmation. But here we got a Democratic well, presidential nominee. And apparently it doesn't have the same kind of level of coverage. And Korov obviously is friends with Kavanaugh. We all saw that outrage. We don't know what happened, but we knew it was unfathomable. They were going back to high school for a man in his 50s. But now we find out Joe Biden in 1993, no one really seems to care about that story. The last thing this nation needs is another sex scandal, believe me. But this blatant bias, while not surprising, I do find stark. Joining us now, a man who finds nothing stark, uh, Chris Tyrell. And that fact is how he wants to be introduced. And I don't know why. Chris, welcome back. I mean, I find things stark. Uh, the, uh, I, I find the genius of your writing in history uh, stark in its accessibility, uh, especially to people who are not uh, experts or history buffs. Uh, I think that you have made Americans love their country more by understanding it better. Wow, that is a beautiful parody. I can't correct you. I just have to back you 100%. I know the show is better. I know the show is better when we disagree, but when, when the guy's right, the guy's what right. What do you do? What, you uh, know, when the thank facts you. Just there. Yeah, when the facts are just there. But it's true. Um, you know, Democrats are thinking a lot today about Al Franken. They're not thinking about Brett Kavanaugh. They're thinking about Al Franken. And there has been some, some rue among Democrats uh, because uh, a, a clack led by Kristen Gillibrand drummed Franken out of the Senate for unbe- certainly uh, behavior unbecoming a senator, 
whether it was unbecoming of a comedian uh, when Franken did the things, I don't know. But they're thinking about this, and, and they're remembering how that happened. And how that happened was, as the Me Too movement really got going, right, uh, and Democrats were eager to hold President Trump to account for allegations of a, of a very serious nature made against him. And as they were eager to hold Republicans to blame for Roy Moore's alleged indiscretions uh, as a prosecutor uh, in Alabama, uh, they, they sort of sacrificed Franken at the same time. If, you know, it's sauce for the goose, it's sauce for the gander, and we're going to throw Franken overboard. If Democrats do that now, what it will do, I, and I don't know that they have any choice. I think they're. I think Joe Biden is now going to have to walk through this fire. Um, but they're facing the reality that to hold uh, Biden to even half of the standard to which they wish to hold Trump, they're going to have to vet this claim and they're going to have to go through it. And that's going to be really painful for Biden. Right. And how they handle it. And they cannot, I don't know how much longer you cannot bring up that question when um, over the weekend you had this call. I don't know how the heck they cross uh, the Lexus Nexus and got the Larry King call uh, from a show uh, from 1993 where the mom called in to verify her daughter without using Joe Biden's name. And then you had the neighbors say, yeah, at the time she walked over and told me the whole story. And it's exactly like the one we've heard. So those two things have emerged uh, over the last few days. And I'm wondering, does that change anything? When Anderson Cooper goes into the Biden basement and uh, gets his, uh, puts his antenna up and uh, tunes him in, does he ask that question now? Look, I, I think uh, Biden ultimately is probably going to have to submit to some sort of, I, I think now much like Kavanaugh, uh, there's going to have to be some outside investigation, right? Uh, in the end, what saved the Kavanaugh nomination was Jeff Flake's plan, look, let's get a probe of some kind together. And the FBI did their work. And after that, they could they could move on. Biden, I think, is going to need that. Now, whether he can get the Senate Ethics Committee to do it in, a, in, a, in sort of a, a way, way back machine, uh, whether it's some outside thing, I think Biden, get, his problem isn't what Republicans think at all. His problem is that there are feminists and there are Me Too activists who are core parts of the Democratic coalition. These are a lot of these folks are people who are already resentful that Biden is the nominee or is the presumptive nominee. And their attacks on Biden are going to intensify. And Biden has to show that he is willing to listen. So I'm going to guess like scenario A here is outside investigation of some kind. Uh, followed by heartfelt Biden interview in which he says, well, I didn't do it. I didn't do anything. But, you know, I, as I look back over my life, I've come to regret uh, things that I've said in the different time, blah, 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 blah. It's going to be a painful process for Biden. You really think it's going to go that far? That's interesting, because I don't know if things I've said, that's a Chris Matthews line. But this is a thing, something he did. So uh, well, they're accusing him of doing. I have no idea well, if he did yeah, but here, but, it. But if he has but to address it, he can't get a buy with what I said. But here's the thing. 
if Kavanaugh had raped somebody, even in high school, if he if it was found yep. conclusively that Brett Kavanaugh had raped somebody, he would not be on the Supreme Court, right? Uh, they would have said, "Oops, we we need somebody who didn't." It, it didn't. Whether it was thirty years or whether he was in high school, it wouldn't have mattered if if there had been conclusive evidence that had shown that he did it, or even if there was a preponderance of evidence, he he would have been he would have been tossed. Uh, so obviously, in Biden's case, if if the allegation is corroborated, right? If it if it gets to more than she claimed he and and he claimed uh, anything, right. right? Then he's in huge trouble. All right, just real quick, uh, the Washington, uh, the um, Media Research Center did a look at the Washington Post headlines, and they found 25 to 1 over a pe- over 100 days, 25 to 1, the headlines were negative against Trump. Uh, in a 10-day period, in a 100-day period, two positive slanted headlines. Does that sound even remotely balanced? Not that we expected balance, but does, does, that, does that alarm you in terms of a, of a popular newspaper not seeing anything positive at all that a sitting president does to that degree. I mean, it's the it, this is the this is a survey of Washington Post headlines. Yes, is that right? I mean, the Post is bread and butter. January seventeenth to April twenty fifth. The the Washington Post bread and butter is bagging on Donald Trump. They have, I mean, they remember when they put the slogan "Democracy dies in darkness." That's their brand. I mean, I don't. I guess I, I'm not. I'm not surprised that the overwhelming. Uh, editorial bent in the post. You know, I got to say, the era (laughs) of Trump, the era era of Trump has tested a lot of newspapers. uh, And I think the Washington Post has in a lot of ways failed the test. I think the New York Times has done a good job. Um, There are a lot of you point out the criticism of their handling of the Biden story and all of that stuff. But compared to what the Post has done, which is to basically, right. from a, certainly from an, an opinion standpoint, shove all of its chips in on being sort of the, the voice of the resistance. I think, they, I think they have painted themselves into a corner. Here's a headline that I, I want to share with you today. Trump allies highlight new claims regarding allegations against Biden. Oh, really? So it's the Trump allies that are the problem against Biden is just a that's a side note. But let Trump allies I, highlight new claims regarding allegations against Biden. What about America, you know, is there anybody besides Trump allies that might be alarmed by an accusation from a woman who still will vote for Joe Biden? You know, a a lot of times media outlets use media coverage uh, as a way to cover stories that they're uncomfortable with. Right. So they don't quite Uh. know how to get there. There's a long tradition of uh, we don't know. We don't want to talk about this. We find this icky. uh, But what if we do a story about the story? And that's that's a way <laughs> since time immemorial uh, that news outlets have have gotten around uh, stories that they don't want to that they that they would like to keep an arm's length distance from. Chris Dowell with us now. We want you to order the halftime report. Uh, go to foxnews.com and do it. Uh, Suffolk County, USA Today combined for a poll. Uh, uh, and it turns out that to surprise a few, Joe Biden leading Donald Trump, 4438 with a third-party option, and by uh, 10 full points, head-to-head in a two-way ballot. Now, head-to-head national poll, that doesn't get you elected or unelected president. Uh, but but if you lose, on if battleground you lose states national, and other polls, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, if you lose the national popular by 10 points, the Electoral College wouldn't save you. Uh, these are early polls. Don't We obviously don't put too much stock in them, and we're also uh, in a very tumultuous period uh, 
uh, here as we're as we're trying to wrap up uh, the national uh, emergency uh, and all of that stuff. So I wouldn't put too much into it, but I would say what their poll shows. If they were the poll that showed Trump at his best. The, they, this was the poll because of timing and because of their model that gave Trump the biggest post-impeachment bounce. They even had him up three points over Biden. So this represents a, you know, a, a nine-point swing, basically. And it's the reality that the administration is trying to confront and the Republicans are trying to, con- to confront that if the narrative on coronavirus stays the same for Trump, he's going to lose the election. So they have to change the narrative. Right. Uh, so much is going to happen. Uh, we just know yeah. even the stuff that's predictable, it's going to be, will the state stand up? Will the economy start moving forward? Uh, will the market continue to rise? Uh, what will Biden do? I just don't think he is going to be Barack Obama or Bill Clinton on the stump. So we know predictably what will happen. We don't know how uh, how short he'll actually fall when it comes to an actual campaign, because we don't even know what a campaign is going to look like. Um in this environment. So I think he benefits most while Trump has to sit on the sideline and uh, socially distance his, his huge crowds. So right. there's I a lot of things that will break his way, but go ahead. Well, look, we're, we're uh, entering in the, in the Rumsfeld standard where we have fewer unknown unknowns and now we have more, and you just listed all of them, those known unknowns. Uh, uh, we know that what the challenges are going to be how are people going to respond to them? And the most important question for Trump, overwhelmingly, most important question for Trump, do Americans feel confident first to reengage, number one, and then second, do they feel confident that economic, the economic turnaround is on pace, right? They have to feel by November like this is going the right way. And if they don't, they're going to punish him and they're going to take the presidency away from him. If they do, they're going to forgive him for the mistakes that he's made. If they say, ah, you know what, he could have done it better, he could have done it differently, uh, but it seems like we're going the right direction. They, voters can be very forgiving of mistakes if they're confident that the direction going forward is a good one. And Chris, if you, if, and this is hypothetical to a degree, but if Nancy Pelosi gets her way and does the guaranteed income, uh, will you continue to work at Fox, or will you just stay home because you're going to get paid anyway? A lot of a lot of people don't know this, but um, I am uh, I, I do this for free. I get most of my oh. money through a uh, through a deal to uh, uh, with the North Korean government uh, about endorsing <laughs> ah. uh, uh, some some diet supplements. Uh, this is just something I do because <laughs> you know it's fun. Uh. I did not know that, but I could break news with that. I'm going to call dot com yeah. now, and we might get a headline out of this. All right, <laughs> all right. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate right, it. Man. Bye. That is the that is fake news. Uh, Chris does get paid, uh, and because I watch every week, and as he get direct deposits into his account. When we come back, I give you Chris's uh, account number, so you can deposit money on your own into Chris's account. Uh, we got, we'll take some calls and find out more to know. one 408 And we still might be getting in tape from Ron DeSantis and the president meeting. There's never a boring soundbite coming out of that White House, so don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, it was always great to talk to Chris Starwell. Uh, this polls don't look good for the president, but it is so early. Even if he was up 10 points on Joe Biden, I would say it's so early because we're in the middle of a pandemic, and it's not an exaggeration. Our economy is flat on its back. Uh, if he even was having the press conferences, which were substantive and 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 unconfrontational as as, Mar- uh, as as Andrew Cuomo's, I'd say the same thing. It's still too early, state by state. But the image of Joe Biden is a lot different than Joe Biden. Joe Biden, if this thing clears up to the point where they can have some rallies, you will see the worst candidate you can possibly imagine. Remember, he was leading by a ton until people saw him on the stage and on the debates. So he's up by 10 on Trump. All he could say is, I want you to meet my Secretary of State, John Kerry. I want you to meet my Vice President uh, nominee, Kamala Harris, whoever it is. Uh, don't worry, I'm going to bring back a lot of the Obama people. Uh, it's going to be very familiar. We're going to be full with competence. Uh, you're going to love Stacey Abrams as Secretary of Labor. Uh, you're going to, you know, that's what he's going to do. It's going to be the people around him. And I don't know if people are going to buy it because President Obama did not have the good old days. He's charismatic, handsome guy, unbelievably, uh, unbelievably uh, cool under pressure, smart. But he was not a good president. And that's what he's going to hearken us back to. Uh, it's going to be President Obama, and this is what I confused people when I said this. It's going to be President Obama uh, against uh, President Trump because Obama's going to come up, he's going to do all the speaking, and then Biden's going to say two words. I wouldn't even be surprised if sometimes if Biden opened up for Obama and Obama pretends to get caught in traffic so he gets to close. Remember, Hillary Clinton used to have big crowds. The only problem was, uh, with my investigative skills, it was because Bruce Springsteen was playing after she spoke. Remember, LeBron James could not sell out a Cleveland arena for Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden doesn't have a lot of strengths there. Let's find out if there's indeed more to know. More to know. UPS plans to use drones for deliveries of prescription medicines from a CVS pharmacy to the village's retirement community in Florida. The Sandy Springs-based shipping giant said the service by its drone subsidiary, UPS Flight Forward, will support the social distancing efforts and allow faster same-day delivery. I'll believe it when I see it. I've been hearing about this for years, but now it seems so real. Talked about this with Stuart Varney. Next. The NBA moved another day closer to letting teams reopen practice facilities, but it's a little further away. It'll be May 8th. I was surprised to see these teams push back and the management push back, saying they wouldn't know how comfortable they'd be. Here's what they're talking about. Have players come down four at a time. I think that'd be pretty cool. Next, the NFL considering major schedule changes in the 2020 season. As I mentioned, October 15th they'll begin. February 28th will be the Super Bowl. They'll have no bye week and still get 16 games in. I love it. If things really clean up and the summer kills this stuff, I would hope and maybe a vaccine is out there. I hope they still play it in September. Next, finally, Pentagon has released footage of unidentified aerial phenomenon. They won't say UFOs. Uh, it is pretty cool, but of course blurry. The 2004 incident occurred 100, mile, uh, occurred 100 miles uh, into the Pacific Ocean. Two Navy pilots on a training mission were dispatched to investigate. The pilots found one oval-shaped aircraft hovering 50 feet above the water that quickly descended and fled when we moved closer. If I was there, I would have caught it. I would have caught it. I would have tried to capture it. I don't want to come back empty-handed. If you can find out what happened in 2004, I will lead with you tomorrow as my first guest. If not, I'm going to leave it to Pete and Eric to book somebody. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.